This episode of Girl on Guy is brought to you by Audible. Uh, with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more, you can get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial at audible.com slash girlonguy. This is Girl on Guy. Hey everybody, welcome to Girl on Guy 219. Welcome to the show. It is the beautiful, robust, thick, juicy center of fall. And I hope that your lives are going as as well as you might hope and better than you expected. I'm cranking away on all the shows, the criminal minds and the talks and the archers and Girl on Guy and Axis and trying actually to be a little bit more like a human being finding holes in the midst of all that activity to, I don't know, rest, urinate, cry softly in a dark place, sometimes a closet, eat in secret, and uh, drown all my feelings in alcohol. So none of those none of those strategies, by the way, are going to solve anybody's problems. Do not emulate me. I am a hot, sprawling mess, but I hope that you are taking care of yourself and having a great time and uh, skipping joyfully through life, which is precious and short and, uh, and should be, on the whole, filled with french fries, cake, and fun. This episode of Girl on Guy is brought to you by Audible. Uh, with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more, you can get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial at audible.com slash girl on guy and I recommend lots of books and lots of things and lots of stuff but and I'm I and I I'm going to here's the thing I used to read a lot more cuz I had a lot more free time so I always had new ideas but I don't have a million new ideas just a couple new ideas and one old idea I did a panel uh, last month at New York Comic Con for the TV show The Magicians which is based on my one of my favorite uh, trilogies of books called the, uh, the Magicians by Lev Grossman. I think the first book is The Magicians, and then uh, the second one is The Magician King, and the third one is The Magician's Land. It might be Magician's Land and The Magician King. I don't know. I have a terrible memory, and I'm, I'm clearly too lazy to look it up online. But it's a fun trilogy, and they adapted it to a show that I've enjoyed because it is both emulative of the book but not identical to it, and that's what's been really nice. And the guy that they picked for the lead is really, really great and a, a perfect casting choice. So you could watch that show, which is coming back out, and you could also read the books and you could also enjoy them by going to audible.com slash girl on guy and finding any of those books uh the magician's trilogy by love grossman just by uh typing that information in you will get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial by signing up at audible.com slash girl on guy and if that doesn't strike your fancy you can always get my book self-inflicted wounds read by yours truly uh, in just ongoing nasal drone of Aisha Tyler. But, you know, animated. I act things out. I make little voices. I danced. I might or might not have recorded the entire thing in the nude. That's for you to imagine. I don't know why I suggest that you imagine that, but it's too late now to take it back. Um, and also, uh, our good friend, friend of the show and friend of me, Dave Eggers, has a brand new book out. And you could get that book on there. And Dave Eggers is one of my favorite people. He was a guest way back in the very beginning of Girl on Guy. He's the founder of 826 Valencia, uh, which has turned to the 826 Foundation that tutors young people and helps them get through school. He's also a Foundation of Scholar Match, on, of which I'm on the board. This is a charity. I make no money. It's a, But it's a company that is all like a Kickstarter for college students that helps college students with no resources go to school. Many of them, the first person in their family to ever attend college. So he's doing pretty amazing things out there in the world. And he has a brand new book, a brand new book out. 
that just came out called Heroes of the Frontier. Uh, and I don't know, he's one of my favorite writers. He's also one of my favorite people. Uh, the New York Times described Heroes of the Frontier as On the Road Crossed with Henderson and the, Henderson the Rain King. Now, I have read On the Road. I have not read Henderson the Rain King. I'm going to throw in maybe actually it's there's a bit of the road in there. I don't know. Uh, is it post-apocalyptic uh, frontier fiction? I have no idea. All I know is I love Dave's writing and I think he's a pretty great guy. And you could check out his book, uh, on audible.com. So go to audible.com slash girl on guy for your three free 30 day trial. I've lost my capacity, uh, for English and you'll get a free audiobook with that 30 day trial. When you go to audible.com slash girl on guy, when you avail yourself of these free offers, you are showing my advertisers that advertising on my show is meaningful for them and meaningful for you. And it keeps them coming back. So go check it out. It's free. It's a free audiobook. It's a free 30 day trial. Why wouldn't you go for it? Go to audible.com slash girl on guy and check it out. Okay. This episode of girl on guy is with the, the astrophysicist. I hope I got that right. I mean, I'm having him on the show. I should know. Yes, he does so many things that uh, I I was worried I was going to draw too narrow of a of a description of him. But he's an astrophysicist, a cosmologist, an author, and science communicator, Mr. Neil deGrasse Tyson, and he is also the director of the Hayden Planetarium at the Rose Center for Earth and Space in New York City. He has his own podcast called Star Talk, which has been adapted into a television show. He's a prolific writer about science uh, and 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 a general uh, thoughtful, outspoken prolific, voluminous thinker and speaker on the topics of space, science, space travel, and our interaction with our place in the universe and beyond. Uh, he is such an interesting guy, uh, brilliant, self-made. He's got 43 degrees. Well, maybe not 43, like 41 degrees. Um, you know, he's a consultant with NASA. He does lots of cool shit. He's cool, man. And uh, he is on my show. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. Like, really badly. Uh, I still want to be an astronaut. This is a bunch of bullshit. Um, I'm never probably going to go to space, but I can talk about it and fantasize about it like I did when I was a kid and I read all kinds of cool science fiction books. And I loved science and I wanted to be an engineer, but I didn't have enough math. Or maybe I just didn't want to have enough math. Or maybe I just wanted to have beers instead of math. But this is a guy who knows a lot about science, has, is, is uh, that delightful combination of a grounded, uh, thoughtful scientist and a dreamer, and has done so much to make science cool and approachable and appealing to young people of every age, gender, and ethnic background. And um, he's a pretty, pretty neat, pretty neat guy. And this is a really great conversation. And there's also something at the center of the conversation about travel and our place in the universe and how we got here and who we are and where we're going. That also has to do with our existential sense of self. Why are we here? What does it mean? Um, you know, we're not going to live forever. None of us are, but our works may. And, and by extension, when we expand outwards into the universe around us, when we create, when we develop, when we invent, we are leaving lasting marks on our environment and hopefully drawing a clearer map, a clearer, more detailed map in relief of the human place in this, in not in the center, because we're clearly not in the center, we're in their own center, but in the, in the in the great map of everything that there is. And he's a great guy to talk about this stuff with. He is cool. It was a great conversation. It was too short, but it was still super, super fun. And here it comes. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Girl on Guy 219 with astrophysicist and science 
communicator extraordinaire, Neil deGrasse Tyson, coming at you straight out of the girl on guy bunker, which I wish was the girl on guy bridge and right into your face. Neil deGrasse Tyson, welcome to my show. Thank you. It's about time you called. I know. It took me forever, <laughs> didn't it? I feel like we've been working on this on the fringes for a long time, but um, I'm a busy woman and you are literally like as busier than me by a factor of, of many, in a factor of N. So, um, <laughs> so I'm just thrilled it's finally come together. Well, thank you. Thanks yeah. for having me on the show. Now, you, you do this for a living and your podcast is obviously much more structured and value-driven than mine, but um, I'm thrilled to be able to talk mission to driven, you. Mission-driven. Mission-driven. Mission driven, value value imbued. Um, And I'm going to just start out with what I feel is going to be kind of the crux of the conversation between us. And then we'll start at the beginning with Mm -hmm. your life because um, I don't know how to articulate this in a way that's not going to be ham handed or ham fisted. Um, And I think I'm just, I'm really interested in talking about the fact that you are probably the most well-known American scientist um, and uh, today, you know what I mean? And, and you're an active scientist. You're not somebody that people read about in a school book. You're actively pursuing and disseminating science on a, an everyday basis. And you're African-American. And I think that, that you have um, probably not a mission that you set for yourself, but there's still a varied mission in what you do. Because I think uh, whenever you're the first or the only of something, you have a, like a secondary mantle that you carry. Willingly or unwillingly, I guess. Well, so, yeah, there's the mantle that people put you on. Yes, And there's the mantle you might have brought to the table. And so your accountability exists in all these uh, these places. So Mm -hmm. that's certainly the case. I try not to uh, adopt anybody's claim or anybody's assertion that I should be a role model. Mm -hmm. Only because I think the role model concept is, uh, is overrated in right. the following way. I, if I had required that there'd be someone who looked like me who came out of the Bronx who was an astrophysicist, for me to have become an astrophysicist, I would have never become an astrophysicist. Mm-hmm. So at some point, if you want to do something no one has done before, there are no role, mo- role models. So, so should that now restrict, constrict people's ambitions coming up in the educational pipeline. No, it shouldn't. Mm-hmm. You should still be able to do what you want. And so what I did personally was construct my role models a la carte. Mm-hmm. So there are people who are, had a scientific a command of the scientific, uh, a command of astrophysics that mm-hmm. I really said, boy, if I'm ever a scientist, that's the kind of scientist I want to be. And then someone else who was an educator was brilliant and, and inspiring and made you smile and made you want to learn more. And I said, what is it that they've got? I want to learn that. If I'm ever an educator, that's the kind of educator I want to be. And you just, you sort of parcel people's talents regardless of what they look like. Mm-hmm. And you piece it together. Oh, by the way, what you really need in the role model uh, struggling role model dimension is find the person who actually had to struggle to get out from where they were to whatever they became. Right. And you will find that so many of those stories have strong overlap with what could apply to your life, no matter what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, these stories are, have common denominators, right? And so, so but what it, en- it enabled me to create goals for myself that were not linked to other baggage a person an individual might otherwise have. Right. So I, of course, as a kid, as a boy growing up in the Bronx, I had role models, I had athletic role models, but I wanted to have, like with the Yankees, mm-hmm. right? The Yankees are 
the Bronx. Mm-hmm. So, so there were players. I didn't want to be the player. I just wanted to have the talent that the player had. Mm-hmm. So if the player was later busted for cocaine, I, people are not going to say, oh, are you now going to do... No, yeah. I don't can't. No. <laughs> don't you yeah. see what... Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I don't need to have like, the whole life's profile. <laughs> so, so yes, there are mantles I know that I've been placed on, but I'm, I'm, I reject ones where they, they want my entire right. life story to serve as a model for them. I say, no, you're not getting it. Right, right. And, and additionally, in that, in that space of like, here's what we demand of you because we see you as special or, or, or um, in some way unique to your space, mm-hmm. that you are obligated to behave these ways to satisfy us, right? right. So it's, yeah, basically, that's right. It's, it's a, it's a, it's an expectation to serve other people's needs, mm-hmm. not my needs, mm-hmm. ne- necessarily. And so right. that, uh, I've had people contact me and say, oh, we want you to, to donate to this cause, mm-hmm. this charity cause. And I'd say, well, you know, I, I, I feel for this need, mm-hmm. but it's not how I've arranged my life. And then they want to make me feel bad right. for not using my platform to support a worthy cause. Right. And because they had an idea for me that was not my idea for me. And that's what's so interesting about someone like you, this path that you've chosen, is that a part of it, a part of it requires that you, that your goals be specifically and uniquely and kind of, um, uh, what's the right word, uh, impenetrably your own. Do you know what I'm saying? For you to get where you've gone, you had to hew to your own set of goals oh, yeah. and your oh, own yeah. path. Otherwise, you just get scattered thin mm-hmm. and nothing happens. Right, right. And so, yeah, and it means saying no a lot, which mm-hmm. is uncomfortable, but you, you get used to it after a while. Not from thick skin, but you just rethink the priorities mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, otherwise you just become what everyone wants you to be or maybe needs you to be. When you, I personally felt I had a deep vision for where I wanted to uh, take my life. Mm-hmm. And so that's, mm-hmm. that's the, the, the tune that I'm you're playing. I'm playing. <laughs> I, I realize I didn't start my very high-tech fail-safe back up here, and I'm doing uh-huh. that now. I was just riveted, and I said, I better get this going in case... Because all the rest of the, You don't trust the rest of your technology. I don't you know. I don't here. trust... And I, tr- <laughs> I trust but verify, my friend. There trust you go. but verify. Very militaristic. Uh, <laughs> so let's, let's start back at the beginning of your life, because uh, I'm just so curious about... I'm just curious about you. That's why you're here. So mm-hmm. um, where were you born? I was born in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, a in resident Manhattan? of the Bro- a resident of the Bronx at okay. the time, but I was born in a, a hospital in, in Manhattan. Oh, okay. Yeah, Mount Sinai Hospital. And were your parents? Were your pa- like what, were, what? What was your educational? Uh, what were they? What was their educational experience like compared so to my, yours? My mother was a housewife. Did mm-hmm. not go to college. Mm-hmm. Not uncommon in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, my father uh, struggled through school. Uh, for graduate school, he went to uh, Columbia Teachers College. Mm-hmm. But over that time, they're starting a family and there's not much money around. And so we lived in middle-income housing projects in the East Bronx, Castle mm-hmm. Hill mm-hmm. housing projects. Mm-hmm. And uh, went to a PS36 okay. in, in kindergarten. And then he graduated and got a better job and we moved. because, mm-hmm. In fact, you ha- you're kicked out because they're housing projects. Right, so there's a limit. There's an upper there, limit there's to a, income, there's right? There's th- income thresholding, mm-hmm. which is completely sensible and, mm-hmm. and right, the right thing. So we moved. So we moved to Riverdale. 
which is a fancy part of the Bronx. Mm -hmm. And so my formative years were spent in Riverdale, in spite of what people would want to be true about me, that I somehow I was born a poor black child. And that's <laughs> not the, no, I was a middle class. We grew up in an apartment building that had a swimming pool and it's winter ice skating rink and a large playground. And, mm -hmm. and you know, so no, I, I had a middle class life, went to public schools. You know Which what's I'm proud of public schools yeah. about that stereotype is a, a different groups would apply the exact opposite stereotypes to your life. There'd be the people be like, well, he, he came up from a, a poverty and a poor black child, never had a book, and he stared the stars, and uh -huh. you know. And then there, I think there were a group of people who would put the opposite on, which is like the only way he could have ended up at Harvard and with you know multiple degrees is if he had grown up, you know, where he was a rich black kid and oh, he right, had all okay. these You know, mm -hmm. it's interesting uh -huh. because just whenever you're a part of an excluded class or a historically excluded class, everybody has they a gotta framework come up with they need some way to, to fit. They've got to fit, you got to fit their trope. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. So, you know, the brain, the brain loves to organize. Um, so, to a fault. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> an extreme uh, it, it works up until a point and then like, <laughs> cut it there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. System is failing <laughs> now, you now. actually think about what <laughs> you're... all of us. <laughs> so yeah, you went to public schools growing up. Yeah. And um, I guess, you know, looking back... Uh, that that was obviously instrumental in your educational development. You're well, saying. only in the sense that it was a nice cross-section of sort of people mm -hmm. and the community and classes were large, which meant that you could not rely on... You know, classes had 30 to 35 people, 34 mm -hmm. people, mm -hmm. anywhere in there. And you couldn't rely on... The, the personal attention you might get in a private school... Mm -hmm. um, that's not always a good thing, of course, but if you can survive that, mm -hmm. then you, maybe you become a better independent learner, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, more self-driven. Yeah, yeah. self-driven, mm -hmm. if you survive it. And, not, mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, not everyone gets through that. Maybe people really needed that special attention. Mm -hmm. But uh, in my case, that was not necessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, was education... What were, what were the conversations that you had with your parents about education? Were they... Oh, so, so education was everything. Oh, mm -hmm. my gosh. Mm -hmm. It was uh, my grandparents, my parents. Uh, it was never... There was never... Well, do you want to... Will you go... Are you thinking of going to college? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, what college are you going to? Yeah. No, and yeah. so there was never... Uh, just a quick story here. Mm -hmm. My brother was a... How, how far back it goes. My brother, uh, older brother, was a member of the, the James Brown fan club, mm -hmm. okay? And he mailed in his $2 or whatever, and you become a James, member of the James Brown. And do you know the name of his fan club? No. It actually had an official name. It's called the James Brown Don't Be a Dropout fan club. Oh, that's sensational. And, and, and just to show you how out of it I was, I did not understand that phrase. <laughs> drop out of a window, drop, <laughs> what do you mean drop? Drop what? What, what, is it, what does this mean? Right, and right. I, because nowhere was there ever the thought that I would drop out of high school or mm -hmm. drop out of school. Mm -hmm. So the phrase drop out used in that context was foreign to me. Right, And right. it took years for me to finally understand what that was referring to. Right. I was trying to sort of boost the educational initiatives that yeah perhaps the fan base that he uh, was targeting uh, needed. Right, yeah. right. And it's it, it's so interesting because that kind of an attitude about school, um, I, I had a similar experience where it was never like if I was good. I was just, it was where was I going? I mean, yeah, it was yeah, what school? Yeah, no. what school are you going to? Uh -huh. Yeah. And I think... Um, 
it, it, as a result, because that is your end goal, and it, not even being an apple polisher, just if that's your goal you have for yourself, then it is about like how am I going to excel, and how, you know, you right? Know, you, you can strategize how how you can do it, and and what over what pace, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, it can have a profound effect on your life when certain trajectories are already built in to your life's expectations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's, I, that's the aim high mm-hmm. concept mm-hmm. Yeah. that uh, I think is, there's some people, what's the, how does it, how, how's that saying go? If you play to win by one run, you lose by two runs or something. Right, oh, okay. There's some, there's some yeah. expression that the coach tells you. Yeah. Uh, that, would, that would be a baseball analogy. <laughs> but, but so, yeah, if you, have, if, the, if you aim high, as they say, uh, shoot for the stars, and if you miss, you can just hang out at the moon. <laughs> just kick, kick it at the moon for a while. <laughs> kick it at the moon for a while. <laughs> yes, very scientific. <laughs> yeah, <way>. exactly. <laughs> um, where, when you were a young kid, because I know we, from, anyway, the apocrypha or, you know, public lore, folklore, has you kind of having this eureka, this kind of, you know, this, this, this crystallization moment where you're like, I'm going to be a scientist. Was that really how it happened? So uh, it was a little softer than that. So... There was my first encounter with an actual night sky. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was a... Because you grew up in the city, I so... Up, there's there's yes. no night sky in the city. Yeah, there's and there's no, no mystery. There's nothing up there no, when nothing. you're in a city. There's nothing. Yeah. There's not even... Haze. Yeah, it's, it's, and back then, there was also a lot of air pollution mm-hmm. uh, built. That's how old I am. Uh, apartment buildings burned garbage. Oh, my gosh. As a means of disposal yeah. uh, of trash. And so there would be soot coming out of not only the smoke from the burning garbage, but soot. Yeah. Soot and ash that yeah. would actually land on your clothing. Oh God. By the time you, I, I walked home from school, and you would mm-hmm. brush it off your shoulders, and then before you walk, uh, entered, and this was just life. You're not yeah. even thinking that there's a, that just is. Yeah, yeah. The, it's, it's not. Is not this bad? No, it just yeah. is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> off the ash. Yeah. One, one of the ises of life. Yeah. And so, uh, so there was air pollution as well as, of course, light pollution, and so you can't see anything. You see the moon. Mm-hmm. five stars, a dozen stars at most. So to go into the Hayden Planetarium, which is the local planetarium to New York, to me in New York City, and the lights dim, the stars come out, and uh, it's true, I, I just thought it was a hoax. Like, how can this possibly this be This real? is not that. I, I, I'll go along with the hoax, but <laughs> clearly this is not any universe <laughs> that ever existed. And so, but to the, learn that that was real is the was the watershed moment of my life. And... The uh, in the sense that I didn't know anything about any, I wouldn't care about anything until then, and I cared about the universe. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, you do what feels good. You're not really strategizing yet, and it would yeah. take a couple of years mm-hmm. by age 11 before I would recognize that this is you can make a career of this mm-hmm. and become a professional scientist. So from age 11 onward, mm-hmm. I would know. Mm-hmm. I would have the answer to that annoying question that adults ask children. What do you want to do? What do you want to be when up? you grow up? And I say an astrophysicist. And that pretty much shut them up. For, yeah, they, that's good. That's good not, Aunt Matilda's one. No, no, Aunt Matilda's <laughs> not the astrophysicist. <laughs> so it was, it was, it, it really, it gave me certain peace, <laughs> quiet time after I said it because there was never a rebuttal. Right. And, and also, yeah, it's ambitious as hell. It's like, okay, kid, you, you got it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, then you got it. Then I don't just walk really away. even know what that is, but it sounds good. Sounds good. It sounds meaningful. It sounds good. And uh, so, so this, and, and there was a friend of mine who owned a pair of binoculars. Mm-hmm. And in this time, he offered to show me 
the moon through the binoculars. Now, just to show you how citified I was, I uh, binoculars, you don't look up with them. You're like, you look in windows. <laughs> you know, window. when it, yeah, it's not for looking up. <laughs> yeah. Or you take it to a sporting event. Yeah. And I just never even occurred to me to look up. Yeah. Because yeah. there's nothing up there. Yeah. Okay, the moon is there, but I can see the moon. Right. I don't, right. Why would I need binoculars? I got my eyes. And so you, but you look at the moon through binoculars. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. There are mountains and valleys and craters and hills. The moon wasn't just bigger. It was better. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I realize if binoculars can do that with the moon, imagine what these big telescopes that you read about can do for the universe. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Yeah, I was hooked. So now I can align my life to make that happen. From age eleven onwards. When did you? Do, when did you see an actual night sky without light pollution? Did you go on a? Field oh yeah, yeah. Trip so, or? so we there were some trips to the Caribbean where we had relatives, and a couple of other trips to upstate New York mm-hmm. and across into Pennsylvania, just away from city lights, mm-hmm. and then uh, even to mountaintops where there are actual real observatories. And mm-hmm. but to this day. It just how again how cityfied I am to this day. If I go to a mountaintop and look up at the star-studded, unimpeded night sky, the, my first thought is, "Hey, that reminds me of the Hayden Planetary." <laughs> <laughs> so I, I swear it's an, emba- it's an embarrassing fact, but I confess it that I, my reference. My yes. imprinted referent in this <laughs> is the night sky projected on the dome. And to later on come back and become director of it is a, it's a privilege and, and a huge responsibility. Mm-hmm. But that hometown kid comes back and is director. It doesn't play as well in the city. Yeah, yeah. No one cares. Yeah. I say that to the press. Yeah, okay, go on. What else you got? But no, but in small towns, you know, yeah. that matters. You yeah. know, someone goes out exactly. and they comes back. Uh, they don't, I think there are too many other stories people hear in New York that yes. my, that story doesn't, I don't know. I don't. think it's a large Okay. <laughs> I, I remember. Um, well, you're from where? Where did you grow up? I'm from San Francisco. San Francisco. Okay. And That's same cool thing. Town. So very, lots of light cool pollution. Town. Yeah. But uh, thank you. But I used to go camping. And I one thing I was just thinking about when you were talking See, about. See, if you grew up in New York City, no one is thinking of camping. No, right? Not even, not even <laughs> at all. It's not yeah. even, it's not, what? You yeah. want to do what? Well, I would just sleep outside. <laughs> outside. Yeah. Trying to be homeless. Um, exactly. But, we got but, homeless uh, people. Yeah, we could do that down the street. You don't got to drive <laughs> anywhere. But I do, I, I was just thinking. Thinking about the fact that when you really go to a place where there's no light pollution, how much of the universe is visible to the actually just to the naked eye without tools? Mm-hmm. Like how you can see the Milky, the streaks of the Milky Way, and you can right. see, I mean, like stars upon stars. Like it's th- that I want. I guess I was going to ask you an existential question, which maybe you couldn't answer when you were 11, but you might be able to answer now. Which is, did seeing all of that make you? Oh, nah, this is really hippy dippy. Um, it like reforms your sense of yourself, like your sense of yourself as a being when you, when you realize how much stuff is up there. No. No, it didn't? <laughs> no, it didn't. No? no, no, no. No, you know what, you know what did though? Mm. Um, and this is a little obscure, but I'm old enough to remember the assassination of John Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Just bare, you know, just, just coming into the, the portfolio of memories that I can retain in my life. And... I remembered at the funeral, and he's laid to rest at Arlington Cemetery, and the family is there, and little John John, and there was this flame. Mm -hmm. And the announcer said, this is an eternal flame. And I said, eternal? What? You mean that is going to burn forever? Mm -hmm. Now, holding aside, even at age five, Mm -hmm. I knew 
they had to keep adding fuel to this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like, wait so, a minute. So, so, so I'll give him that, though. Yeah. All right? Yeah. I don't mind knowing that I, this is not going to burn forever, eternally. I know you got to refill it. But it was the first time I'd heard the word eternal. Mm -hmm. And that was difficult for me. Mm. Because that's an unmeasurable quantity of time into the unforeseeably distant future. Right, right. And then I had a little bit of existential angst. Mm -hmm. Maybe not so much angst, but curiosity. Yeah. Will I ever come to understand this idea? By the way, it's not natural for humans to have any concept of eternity. Mm -hmm. Because we, we're really good at knowing whether something with teeth is going to eat us, right? <laughs> you just look at where we evolved, right? On the, you know, in the Serengeti, the plains of Africa, mm -hmm. are we food or are we not? Right, right. All right? How fast is it running? How fast can I run? <laughs> There's a, we are constrained by the life experience necessary to not die. Mm-hmm. And eternity never shows up in this, okay? <laughs> so we have no life experience dealing with eternity. This may be why it took so long for calculus to be invented, because mm -hmm. it involves infinities, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you, where, you, where you specify precisely what something infinitely large or infinitely small mm -hmm. must be. We're not the first, to, modern time is not the first, well, Isaac Newton and others and Leibniz were not the first to think about this. Mm -hmm. There's the famous um, Zeno's paradox. Mm -hmm. Was it Zeno? Zeno's paradox. Where have you heard of it? No, so I haven't. I, I want to get from here to there. Mm -hmm. Well, first you got to go halfway. Right, and you can. That's that's. And then it went, and the rest you got to go another halfway. Infinitely divisible. And you keep. Yep. Yeah, then you get another halfway. Mm -hmm. So the paradox is, if you have to keep going halfway, there's clearly an unlimited number of halfways that you can establish here. And so, therefore, you will never reach your destination. Ooh, but you do. Right. And therein is the paradox. Uh. So, back then, there was no mathematical tools to understand what it meant to have an infinity of anything. Mm -hmm. so, so, I'm saying, back to your question, my first thought outside of myself was, well, how am I going to deal with eternity? Yeah. Yeah. And you were a heady kid. <laughs> <laughs> but the night sky was like, wow, look at how much there is to know. Right. I right. want to be a part of that. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I again, I think there are like minds that would see something like that and be... Uh, you know, engaged and see possibility and, and others that would see it as crushing infinity, infinity smashing me down to a tiny particle of dust well, and this, I am well, nothing. Well, this is the source of so many uh, uh, religious inspirations. You look up and you see how small you are. You say to yourself, clearly there's something bigger that started this, so that's my answer and now I can go back to bed. Right. And right. you're not left dangling there in the uncertainty of the abyss, of the, unknowable. Of, of the unknown, unknowable of the cosmos. So religion always had very uh, uh, tidy answers mm -hmm. to so much of that. Well, God made it happen. Mm -hmm. And what happens after death? You would go to Valhalla or to heaven or to whatever is the tradition of your religious training. And so a religion would supply these answers and therefore people aren't walking around staring. With, with, <laughs> like, like with vertigo. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm feeling as if they're falling all the time. Right, right, right. Yeah, right, like right. It tidied up the, the, the unknowns. And yeah. by the way, it didn't matter whether you were monotheistic, well, especially polytheistic, mm -hmm. you'd go back to the religions of Ro ancient Rome and ancient Greece. Today we call them mythology, but they were, they were, they were religions. Mm -hmm. And you would you know, look at a storm coming in from 
the ocean. Who, nobody knew anything about barometric pressure or relative humidity or Coriolis forces. Mm -hmm. And so it was Poseidon right. who was angry. Mm -hmm. And that, Which made sense when that storm jacked is. up all your stuff, and you thought, okay, he's pissed, and now messed my house up your is stuff. Sad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you you messed up. And since everybody messes up at some time, right, it, right. Was, it was. <laughs> it reminds me. <laughs> it reminds me of this uh, joke about uh, one of the quotes from the Bible. Um, Jesus, where they're ready to to um, persecute Mary Magdalene, or. I forgot exactly what they were going to do to her, but or throw stones at her. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says, um, "Whoever among you has never sinned, be the first to throw mm -hmm. to throw a stone." Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm paraphrasing, of course. Mm -hmm. And then a stone whizzes by Jesus' head towards Mary Magdalene, and he turns around and says, "Ma, I told you not to show up." <laughs> So maybe there are some so, people who yes. have never sinned right, so that you right. can't invoke, right. you know, the, the punishment for knowing that you sin all the time. Right. So, so, yeah, I think astrophysics especially is the gate, they're the, we are the gatekeepers of the cosmic perspective. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to call it a gate because that implies where it's in one place and not to be shared, but mm -hmm. we are the holders of this awareness mm -hmm. because it is our methods and tools that got us there. Right. And I think more of it needs to be shared, mm -hmm. which I try to do in any occasion I have in books or lectures or any or interviews. Yeah. Yeah. Of, and of yeah. This. And trying yeah. to make this understanding feel um, more accessible, maybe not more pedestrian, but uh, less remote, less. Yeah, exactly. More accessible. Right. That's all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I want to come back to the topic of religion, but uh I wonder, now you're, you're starting to configure your life around being a scientist, and did you decide very, at a very early age kind of what that, what that path would be, and not having, you know, you were kind of modeling your path. On oh, no, no, yeah, no, I, yeah. I looked at the people who I role modeled mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. me, and looked at their trajectories, and they majored in physics or math, and, and at the time, my mother was a frequented bookstores, mm -hmm. and back then, I, it's kind of a lost... It, it, some bookstores might still have it, but I don't think it's as big as it used to be. The Table of Remaindered Books. Oh, yes, Remaindered Books, and it was like a oh, treasure trove. Uh, do, the book costs a dollar. Yeah, a yeah. A dollar fifty. They're just trying to get them the hell out of the right. store. And my mother would go to these bookstores and find any book she can, she could on math or physics or the universe. And I had a freaking awesome library in middle school. Wow. Middle school. And I would read about math and little brain teasers. And, and so she, my parents, served my interests mm -hmm. without having to tell me what they wanted me to be interested mm -hmm. in, which I think is a common force operating. I'm a medical doctor, so will my kids be. Right. I'm an engineer, you're going to be. I'm a military, you're going to. And so they, true with my brother and my sister, we were allowed to search mm -hmm. for our guiding star. Did you like science fiction you were a kid? No, I didn't. No, no, I loved it in like movies. Oh yeah. Uh -huh. But never I never read much science Books. fiction. Yeah. I, I think cuz I'm late I was lazy. I, if I'm going to read, it's going to be nonfiction. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to be entertained. I'm going to go to a movie and rather than spend 4 hours or 6 hours reading a book, I can spend an hour and a half or 2 hours watching the movie. Yeah. And then yeah. it's over and done with and I get back to my non-fiction reading. So, no, I love a good science fiction story, especially so much of the greatest science fiction takes place in space 
or in the future yeah. where technology has transformed civilization in ways that what I'm studying or the community of knowledge that I'm entering, the science, technology, engineering, and math fields, will be making that future. And a lot of my early formative years were in the 60s, we're going to the moon, as turbulent as that decade was, mm -hmm. with assassinations and, and, and campus unrest and, mm -hmm. and uh, the hot war and a cold war and, and the civil rights movement, we were going to the moon. Mm -hmm. And that was deeply known within our culture. Mm -hmm. And the World's Fair in New York was not, uh, well, it was all about the future, but you can ask, well, what does it come from? It emanated from the dreams of that decade. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. Great World's Fair of 1964 and 65. Mm -hmm. That's what people remember. There are other pavilions there, but the ones people remembered most. Mm -hmm. The monorail, you know, the things that was, wow. Right. Yeah, the, the, the future is in reach. Mm -hmm. And science matters. Yeah. To enable that future. I think lately people have gotten a little complacent. Well, I was going to ask you, this is kind of off-piste, but I feel like, um, I mean, obviously, in a lot... I, I just I'm sorry, I'm dancing around to a lot of No, it's good. This, this, yeah, is, okay. this is the show. That's the show, okay. <laughs> exactly the show. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, I, I, from what I understand, I might be getting this wrong, like you've, you've been a science advisor to lots of different programs, and you've been involved in some way with the, the space program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've had appointments. Yeah. 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 I, Tours of duty in Washington. Exactly. In the service of our government. In the service of our government, Yes. What's interesting to me now is how deeply integrated science is in our everyday lives. Like, in the sense of like, I remember my first computer. I, I, it was a Mac Plus. Uh, if I if I was writing a paper, I had to cycle. Di I had to cycle my three my three and a half inch floppy disks. Take the the disk out that ran the software to put the disk in that would save my paper. And, and it would, would go to there. memory in order to do that. Yes, yes, and I would kind of sit there cycling these things mm -hmm. through like a juggling. Uh, uh, like I was a juggler. For the younger members of your listening audience, that was before there was such a thing as a hard drive. Yes, for exactly. For the personal computer. And, yes. And literally, the computing power of my phone is like seventeen thousand of those computers yes. now. Yes, or more. I'm I mean, sorry, no, I'm, more. more. Yes. Oh, by the way, just to be clear, uh, those discs had a rigid cover to them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the disc inside was actually flexible. Right. And the discs used for the IBM PCs were five and a quarter inch, mm -hmm. and they were flexible. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we use the word hard for a hard drive. Uh -huh. Many people don't know that. They no. just, because it's only, that's the only kind of drive you know. But exactly. The hard drive. That's well, just it's, the name. it's just a drive. Right. You can call it a drive. I give you permission. <laughs> just call it the drive <laughs> now. The drive. Yeah. It was distinguished from the flexible drives, the right. floppy discs right. uh, in, in the day. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, like, we, like, and, and you know, the, the idea now that, like, we are this kind of frog in slowly warming water where we're just so immersed in technology, it, it infuses so much of our lives now. And yet, in some way, and, like, I think about, like, something like, you know, Elon Musk and the Tesla and, uh, you know, X-Space and all this stuff. SpaceX. SpaceX. Yeah. Sorry, I got that wrong. Yeah. <laughs> That's with yeah, the dyslexic. SpaceX, yeah. exactly. X-Space. Yeah. X-Space is a club downtown that I've been frequenting. That'd be a great. Uh, it'd be a cool club, right? Yeah, super, super cool. Um, but like, in a lot of ways, when when you're the time you're talking about uh, uh, travel to space was something that was infusing everybody with this kind of concept of hope and of like these great kind of technological leaps forward that were going to advance the human race. Whereas now we're so glib about technology, but we've it feels like we've almost abandoned the space program. I watched a, a documentary that was saying we spent like a tenth that on NASA that we spent like let's say you know ten or fifteen years ago. No, relative to the total budget, okay, the fraction has dropped. Right. Okay. So so in the 1960s. It peaked a couple of years before we landed on the moon because NASA was still building the mm -hmm. infrastructure that would enable it. And we were um, 
the country was committing 4% of your tax dollar mm-hmm. to it. So it's still only four pennies on the tax dollar. Uh, right now, it's less than one half of one penny. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fraction of the nation's commitment to that enterprise. Mm-hmm. And, but just to be, let's be honest with ourselves back then, we'd like to remember it as being a time of exploration and discovery. But we, we went to the moon because we were lethal enemies with the Russians. Yeah, we're just trying to beat them and get, yeah. Just trying to beat them. And that's why none, nobody who went to the moon was a scientist until the last moon mission, and there was one scientist. Mm-hmm. And then we never went back to the moon again. Mm-hmm. Just to be clear about what, what the priorities were. Mm-hmm. What... We're, we're, there's a new moon mission now, right? Is, is that still in play? That we're going to go to the moon now and make, make that like kind of a deep no, space well, there's a, way station? There's, I don't know what has been settled on. There are ideas that will set up a moon base, but you don't need to set up a moon base to go to Mars. You right. just go direct to Mars. And But Obama has spoken of going to Mars in the 2030s. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe a little earlier, but my worry about that is we now live in an era where a president can com- commit a, a vision statement to be carried out by a president not yet elected, mm-hmm. to, to be named later, right. on a budget not yet established. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? When Kennedy said, we'll put a man on the moon, put him safely to the earth, he did that in 1962, I'd do that before the end of the decade, that would have ha- had he gone two terms, mm-hmm. that would have happened under his watch. Right, right. So yeah, I'm still president and we're still making this happen, bet, let's yeah. do it. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know what it means for Obama to have said that. Right. Well, I mean, it, it's, it, it's a, it means intention. Intention, but, but you ex- got the political support and the right. political capital right. that you would invest. But regardless, we sh- again, we should be honest. If we're not at war, will we be as motivated right. to do that? I don't, I'm not convinced. I have some other ways to do it. I wrote a book on it. But on how to get to Mars? Uh, no, how to... Why going into space matters. Yes, that, for, I, that's the core of what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. This, and, yeah. And why it matters. And I don't want to force you to like space as much as I like space. That's, <laughs> that, would be a, that would be an unfair argument to invoke. Mm-hmm. But I think nobody wants to die. No. And especially, so you will invest money to defend yourself. Mm-hmm. So that's why war has essentially an unlimited budget mm-hmm. for whatever the needs are, real or perceived. Mm-hmm. We spend money on war, the, the, the Defense Department. Uh, but also, what well, you don't want to die, you don't want to die poor. Right. Certainly not in a capitalist society. So if I could direct you in a way that will assure the future economic health of your country, would you be interested? And I can say that audacious ambitions, audacious mission statements in space will attract the best of all the STEM fields that there are. If, if we're going to look for life on Mars, I need the biologist because I'm looking for life. I need the astrophysicist. I need the, the medical doctors because the health of astronauts en route. I need um, structural engineers because we're going to build stuff when we get there. I need the chem. The whole STEM portfolio is represented in NASA missions. Mm-hmm. And if they're big missions, now you have a dream that you can reach for. Right. And you will 
stimulate. You can turn a sleepy country into an innovation nation practically overnight mm-hmm. by sending out a call for the best of the engineers and scientists. Mm-hmm. And even if you're not an engineer and scientist and you, you want to become an attorney, how about we need someone to write the space law for who's going to own the mineral rights to asteroids. Mm-hmm. The first trillionaire will be the person who exploits the minerals on asteroids that are run, going around the sun with nothing better to do except to put Earth at risk. Right. Might as well mine the shit out of it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and, bring, and do something useful yeah. with it. Just think about what that future might be. But it's interesting because I wrote... Oh, I wrote, wait, so, so my point oh. is, I would say you go into space and assure... And when you, when you become an innovative nation... Mm-hmm. Everybody is thinking invention, creating a new tomorrow, a new product, a new this. And that those are the seeds of tomorrow's economies. Right. And those innovations uh, fall back to earth and transform people's life here on the, this it's, planet It's as not well. just whether it's a spinoff. I'm talking about a culture of innovation. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. goes deeper than just, I'm waiting for the spinoff to happen from what you did on route to Mars. Right, right. It's an entire culture of there is tomorrow that we are inventing right mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm, How mm-hmm. can I be a part of that? Right. What, what, the thing, what I was going to say to you was the interesting thing about all of that is like I loved science fiction when I was a kid. I was like, you know, like Avid a, a, a veteran re- reader. You know, I'd read on the bus and I'd wake up at the turnaround and it was dark and I, you know, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> and I loved Child le- left on bus. <laughs> exactly. Right. I was like my own kidnapper. Um, and I would read, you know, Bradbury and Heinlein and I would, I loved, you know, like the Mars trilogy and I fantasized about living in space. And I guess, unfortunately, the way to drive a space program is to talk about the, the financial benefits and the technological benefits because the dream part of it, the part that might have, even though we, there was the space race with another country, there was also this fantastical um, kind of, this is not the right term, manifest destiny. Human beings are meant to, to travel the stars. We are, our, our destiny lies off of this planet. You know, there's a saying in the, sp- in the space community. Mm-hmm. It's... Um, if God had wanted us to have a space program, he would have given us a moon. <laughs> oh, okay. we have a moon. We have a moon. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Okay, let's <laughs> there get we out. Right. Exactly. Yeah, well, we exactly. got it. We right. got it. The, and the innate curiosity, the innate need of oh, the human animal right. so to understand. That, all that innate stuff and all that lofty talk, mm-hmm. uh, that's what, this is why don't, I spent a whole book analyzing. Uh, that's why I spent a whole book analyzing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, this book a few years ago, uh, Space Chronicles, mm-hmm. Facing the Ultimate Frontier. So in there, I just simply ma- I make the simple case that if you can gather enough money to send humans to Mars because everybody in that moment is feeling it, mm-hmm. feeling that, that I want to explore. Okay, fine. Now watch what happens. It takes many years to assemble the total funding to go to Mars because you can't get all that in one budget cycle. And it takes many years to conduct the missions. Mm-hmm. Over that time, there are economic downturns. Right. Over that time, shit happens. <laughs> and so it is ripe for there to be some economic depression, some huge wave of layoffs, and the press goes to the people in the unemployment line and say, how do you feel about unemployed while we have astronauts going to Mars? And I say, I can't feed my family. Why the hell are we going to Mars? So 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 I, I, I study this and I found that there are only three drivers that can survive these up and downturns, cultural and economic ups and downturns. Mm-hmm. One of them is the praise of royalty and deity, so the praise mm-hmm. of gods. Mm-hmm. That worked every time historically. Mm-hmm. But now you don't have nations led by 
by um, uh, 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 the, the praise of gods like exalted or kings. figures who yeah, have well, been exalted ordained doesn't by happen God. anymore. Yes, exactly. Nobody's being, building pyramids to anybody anymore. Right, right, right. right? Yeah. Um, and there is no crusades in the in the name of God or mm-hmm. your version of a god. Mm-hmm. Right. That doesn't happen anymore. Mm-hmm. So that used to drive huge resources, mm-hmm. but no longer. War has always driven resources, and that works whether or not you're in a depression. Mm -hmm. And we already mentioned that. Mm -hmm. The third one is the promise of economic return. Mm -hmm. That works even when you're in a downturn. Because we say we need to do this so that we can reboost the economy. This is going to pay. So I'm being very practical about this Mm and saying, I think exploration of space is a force of nature in driving our economy. Mm -hmm. And... If you also want to do it for the reasons that I would do it, for exploration, why you read science fiction, because it's a tomorrow that's being imagined, welcome aboard. Yeah. But at the end of the day, for it to survive, the, 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 uh, the, the risks of, of the ups and downs of life and society... Uh, you can't just say, let's do it because it's fun. Because it's cool. Because it's cool. Yeah. You can't say it. It's not going to survive it. I want to come back to um, kind of the, the concept of hu- manifest destiny, human manifest destiny. It's not the right phrase. I get it, guys. Don't write in. <laughs> um, but uh, when you, 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 you set this path for yourself, you know, you're, you're looking at people that you want to emulate. I mean, a, lot of, a, a big meal is made about the fact that not only did you admire Carl Sagan, but you met him, and he um, he extended like these kindnesses to you that were really yeah inspiring. yeah it was it was oh my gosh this he was already famous though he had not yet done Cosmos mm-hmm. he was already famous mm-hmm. and on TV and written books best selling books and he wrote me a personal letter inviting me to check out Cornell how did he know who oh you oh were? so so I'm guessing I never got this confirmed but this is the only way it could have happened my application to college. In particular, the one that went to Cornell, but they all would have smelled this way, was dripping with the universe because I'd known <laughs> since age nine of this, this interest. And all of my life's activities had aligned in this way. A member of the amateur astronomy club, you know, the, the, the math team, this sort of thing. I am certain that, highly likely, that the admissions office, after they admitted me, sent my application to him to get him to encourage me to attend. Okay, yeah. So I think he was on task, but still he didn't have to do it. And right, it was a, right. the letter was heartfelt. Yeah. And so and would have been I imagine dazzling when it arrived. Well, so here's what happened. So Seth MacFarlane, the Seth MacFarlane bought Carl Sagan's papers, donated them to the Library of Congress. Oh wow. And the Library of Congress had a display of his papers, which included correspondence between him and me. Wow. When I wrote back to him and said, no, I didn't ultimately go to Cornell, mm-hmm. um, the reason why I didn't choose Cornell, in spite of this very warm invitation, was I didn't want the primary reason for me to attend a college to be a single person. Right. I wanted a greater baseline mm-hmm. of who I could work with. But suppose he leaves Cornell and then yeah. I'm left at Cornell and not. They're stuck up in upstate <laughs> New York. <laughs> stuck in Ithaca. Not that, they didn't already, not that they didn't have an excellent astronomy department mm-hmm. and, and astrophysics department, but um, uh, I, so I, I chose a place with a much broader baseline mm-hmm. of, of scientific talent that would give me more options. Uh, I wouldn't have to commit to one topic or another. So, so yeah, that that happened. That mm-hmm. that actually happened in my life. And since then, I've had a sort of personal obligation, duty, 
to serve the curiosities of other students who have shown interest in my field the way yeah. Carl Sagan had shown to me. Um, and if I was nobody, age 17. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, you yeah. know, it's, it's a I didn't write to him. Yeah. He, he wrote to it. That's what I'm saying. Unbidden, like an unbidden letter from your hero. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it must have been like getting the golden Willy Wonka <laughs> the, the golden the chocolate <laughs> factory. Charlie. The golden ticket. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, Trying to like sleep with it under your pillow, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you went to Harvard. Um, yes, majored in physics at and Harvard. It, and, it, you know, Harvard is in a city. It's in Boston. So mm-hmm. it but might not Cambridge, have Cambridge, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Cambridge. But, uh-huh. you know, for all intents and purposes, it's, it's know, urban. Greater, greater Boston, it's an yes. urban school. So I imagine that might not have felt like a big culture shock to you. But because we had similar but not the same experiences and that I went to an Ivy League school, mm-hmm. uh, I went to Dartmouth, I do remember it feeling still uh, like feeling dramatic cultural uh, differences. And I wonder if that, if when you went to Harvard, it felt familiar to you or it was disorienting at first because Ivy Leagues have a very special culture, mainly because they're fed by, for the most part, like nine private schools on the East Coast. Correct. Uh, I didn't care about the Harvard culture. Mm-hmm. You know how I chose Harvard? Mm. I'll tell you how I did it. At the time in high school, uh, and by the way, not many people know this little bit, but mm. I'm going to lay it out right here. So I subscribed to Scientific American mm-hmm. while a high school student, and I had several years of it. My favorite part was a section called About the Authors. Mm-hmm. And I would read their articles because Scientific American is written by scientists, not by journalists. So I'd read their articles. I'd read the articles on the topics that I was interested in, so mm-hmm. the, the math and physics articles. And every article in the About the Author, every About the Author write-up would list where they went to college, where they got their master's, where they got their PhD, and where they were on the faculty. Mm-hmm. So in principle, these are four different institutions that are touched by their experience. Okay, so I gathered all those articles and I made a checklist of all the schools that had admitted me, which of these authors went there as an undergraduate, graduate school, PhD, or was on the faculty. Mm -hmm. And when I made that list, Harvard blew away every other school that I had applied to and was admitted to. And I said, well, this is the decision right here. And that decision, by the way, had nothing to do with what people otherwise think of as the legacy of highly selective schools. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted astrophysics, and I was going to pursue it at a place where astrophysics mattered. Mm -hmm. If my life was going to track the life of these accomplished scientists who were invited to write for Scientific American. So I get to Harvard, and there's the Center for Astrophysics, and I move to the dorm that's nearest the Center for Astrophysics, and I don't care about the Ivy, I don't care about the Harvard-Yale game, I don't care what prep schools people went to, none of that. Mm-hmm. And I had attended the Bronx High School of Science, mm-hmm. so being immersed in, in geekdom was something that I, I cherished and celebrated. And so the culture shock for me at Harvard was, was being around such a consistently talented set of people. Mm-hmm. So not that that was a culture shock, but it was, I was enchanted by that. Yeah, yeah. And so every next person was an expert or... The, by the way, at age 18, was an expert in something. Yeah. And that, that was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, 
uh, I was focused. Yeah. And the rest, I don't. I don't wear a Harvard ring. I don't. Yeah. I don't go to reunions. I don't. It's. I would, so yeah. Had I tried to assimilate mm-hmm. this prep school life, I would have said, yeah. I, this, I don't think they ever had me in mind. I, I probably <laughs> would have had some issues. Yeah. But that's not why I went to that school. You were focused on, on yes. one thing. All you were the one way. pointed. You. Uh, so you talked about. <clears throat> oh, by the way, but th- there was a little bit of the prep school culture that I did. Uptake. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started rowing. I, 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 row. I rowed as well. Yeah, yeah. I, so really I see excited. yours concept too. Yes. Folded up in the corner. Yes. Let me see your hand. Yeah, see if any remaining. Not as callous. Oh, as whoa! Did you? No, you must have a manicurist. Oh, take yeah, these they, away. they take those away. Every yeah, day. I got. You still feel right here. There's oh, still yeah. one right there. Well, and when you're rowing with those wooden, when you're when you're I'm that old. Wood, yeah. We rowed with wooden oars. None of this. None of this wimpy. Let's have foam cushion covered. Foam carbon fiber. Oh my gosh! You know we were back. When yes, rowers when were rowers, rowers were rowers, yes, so and I, your hands were constantly split and bleeding, split and bleeding. Yes. And so, no, I was. Um, so I enjoyed rowing as a sport, um, and I continued that in through graduate school. Yeah. And I and I look for the rowing machine and fitness centers when yeah. I when I go to them. Yeah, and you never forget. I mean, that's something that's yeah. in your blood because mm-hmm. it is one of the most consuming uh, sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all every. Every muscle, every stroke. Yes. Yeah. And I remember all I thought about was study, eat bagel, row, study, eat bagel, row. <laughs> um, oh God, I mean, a dry bagel was like, <laughs> in my, I was like, I was teething all through college. <laughs> I always had it in my mouth. Um, we're we're going to run out of time. And you're, because, so I want to jump ahead. Um, I want to quickly talk about your collegiate path, and then I want to talk a little bit about how you you have been able to kind of navigate this space between popular culture and science, I think, in a really special kind of Mm -hmm. modern way. And I think, obviously, social media and and technology probably have a lot to do with that. You're able to reach more people than maybe someone would have when, you know, in previous generations. Meet people trivially, right? Yeah, exactly. In a a finger snap. Um, But you you, you went to a lot of colleges. You actually, you did, you went Harvard undergrad. Yeah. And then I I began graduate school at the University of Texas at Austin. Mm -hmm. Uh, got my master's there with the intent of continuing the PhD. Uh, didn't work out with my advisor. And, mm-hmm. you know, at, in graduate school, think it's not just how well you do in a class. It's are there people you can work with who you can uh, engage in research mm-hmm. projects with. If that doesn't work out, it just doesn't work out. So mm-hmm. it didn't work out for me. Was it, were there creative differences? Did you not feel a like creative. you had... <laughs> <laughs> that, that mysterious, yes, yes we parted. For, <laughs> uh, I would say that um, I, they didn't, I, I didn't fit their mold or expectation mm-hmm. of what a graduate student is or should have been. Interesting. And Because and, you're and, so one-pointed that when I read that about you, because I did read a little bit about you, because okay. you're a scientist, so I needed to not uh-huh. sound totally stupid. Mm-hmm. I thought, how can someone... Not how can someone. It's interesting that someone this one pointed, this focus, this accomplished, at some point abandoned their PhD track at a, at a school. You know what I mean? Like, you know, decided right. to do it somewhere else. Yeah, that's right. It's it. just, there was no, we had a disagreement about the my promise, my future promise and performance as a scientist. Mm-hmm. And so. Well, they can suck it now. Well, no, I don't. <laughs> so, so I, so I, I don't even blame them in the sense that they had an understanding of what, who should, they had an understanding of the profile of a graduate student who would then become successful. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, I did not fit that profile. Mm -hmm. So I transferred graduate studies to Columbia, in Mm -hmm. New York, Columbia Mm -hmm. University, got my PhD there. Mm -hmm. And then uh, one of my, the highlights of my life was giving the the graduate commencement speech. Mm-hmm. Um, there were two graduations, one for the whole, 
the, the undergraduate schools. And then there was a separate ceremony for all PhDs mm -hmm. uh, in the school. I was invited to give the, the commencement speech. And I got to tell a little bit of my background and my ambitions of becoming an astrophysicist. And so for anyone to say, oh, it looks like you're not going to make it, so let's just, can you think of something else to do? You have no idea the depths of my, of my energy reserves for this. You know, do you know who you're fucking with? You know, you're exactly. not, no, I guess they exactly. just didn't know. No, they had no idea. They had just no, no. idea. So, so. That's, also, that is, to me, that is so anti-academic. I mean, to, to say to somebody, um, we just don't think this is going to work out. Well, so even though, by the way, it's not like, it's not as though I was saying, you know, I'm a little lost. Maybe I should do something else. Right. No, no. Right. I was the whole time. Yeah. I'm saying, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, this is I'm where. I'm down. I'm here. I'm yeah, here. Yeah. I'm here. Yeah. I'm ready to do it. So what you need is a graduate program that was nimble enough to see what was different and not, mm -hmm get distracted by that right. and and find out what can work and work just make it work yeah exactly. and so that happened at columbia uh i from there postdoc mm -hmm. a postdoctoral research fellowship at princeton mm -hmm. and a while at princeton uh i did that and then i stayed on at princeton as as visiting faculty because right at that point the american museum of natural history was looking to do something with the astrophysics group, mm -hmm. well, the planetarium, that whole, that, the whole universe part mm -hmm. of the American Museum of Natural History. So I came on as an advisor and ultimately became director and the first chairman of a newly formed astrophysics department. This is back now 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, uh, so now we have a whole vibrant research group there yeah. uh, in our department of astrophysics at the American Museum of Natural History. Uh, and, and I... Every Ivy League school, you're like, and then I at Brown, I played tennis, and then I Penn, I, I, <laughs> oh, yeah, so I was, the, was teaching knitting. Oh, oh, right, sorry. There was a year there where I taught at, at the University of Maryland, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. College Park. Yeah. So that was fun. But um, then everything collapsed at Texas, and so I had to yeah. re regroup. Yeah. But anyhow, but I don't, I, you know, I don't dwell on that. Yeah. You know, people say, oh, if you could do anything different, how would you do it? Uh, not to put a question in your mouth, but mm -hmm. I, I haven't, I think I haven't, unorthodox answer to that. Uh, I wouldn't do anything differently. Right. Because I am the sum of all of that life experience that, uh, which involved the struggles and the transfer of schools, all of that creates who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And it reminds me of the, you know, the immigrant that comes here with $10 in their pocket and, and they work hard and they struggle and they get wealthy and they have kids, and they say, "I never want my kids to struggle the way I did. They will never know a hungry day in their life, mm -hmm. and they and they will provide for them." And so then you provide for them, and they are deadbeats, lazy, okay. entitled, lazy, yes. entitled. And they say, "How come they're this way when I gave them everything I didn't have?" Yeah, yeah. That's why they're you that. You answered your own. You question. answered your own damn question. Yeah, yeah. So the a person's life experience provided you survive it and overcome it. Mm -hmm. I think represent a fundamental portfolio of who and what you have become. Yeah. So And you talked about the fact that you looked at the the light the paths of the people that you admired and you wanted to emulate they, uh, them although you set your own path for yourself, but I think what's also instructive is that the, th the through line for you was you had a goal and you were not going to be deterred. Oh yeah, no matter yeah, there's nothing you could tell me. Mm -hmm. And people tr tried. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, you're really athletic. Why don't you go into, you know, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, have you ever thought of professional, you know, football or yeah. whatever? Because uh, I was fast and mm-hmm. I had some uh, balance. Uh, you know, I could have been a, a wide receiver, uh, not a wide receiver, but certainly a running back, mm-hmm. definitely, uh, at, at the college level. Mm-hmm. Maybe not pros, but definitely college level. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, no, I don't want to, I'm not interested. Yeah. Oh, cool. Have you thought of this? And everyone was trying to uh, suggest things that were not astrophysics because their expectations would not otherwise be fulfilled by it. But right. I didn't care. Right, right. I right. didn't care. And then I wondered, here I am kind of a guy, all right, um, as visible as you can get today, yeah, right? Yeah, And And so I, so I say, are there any others ready to sort of, because I don't want to do this forever. I'd rather just go back to the lab. I don't need yeah. to be doing this the rest of my life. And so <laughs> I'll go, find me in the lab, all right? right, right. And so I just wonder how many people who, um, who had ambition but whose ambition was squashed yeah. simply because their fuel tank had run dry right at the point where that or been bled dry by the by the by the, the by the ambivalence or the the closed-mindedness of others because i you know look I, I i i'm sure that there were people for whom you didn't look like any astrophysicist that they knew and so they thought, uh, hey, this isn't going to work out for you because it's never worked out for anybody else. I mean, that's how we started this conversation. And, 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 and I guess fortunately for me, I was in my own little world. Mm-hmm. And all of the naysayers and the, at the time, you know, the <laughs> mm-hmm. there's, there's, you know, the, what do they call the microaggressions, mm-hmm. which, which were continuous in the 60s. Uh, I liked fancy watches. Mm-hmm. I, I walked dogs for mm-hmm. a living mm-hmm. uh, in the glory days of dog walking where you didn't have to clean up. After they pooped, <laughs> pre-pooper scooper laws. You walk three dogs, they <laughs> poop. You, you don't. You don't even have to stop break gates. You know right, exactly. Just, and so, but uh, I used that money to buy my first telescope and my first camera for astrophotography. And in there, I, I would buy these watches that had these multiple dials on them. Well, I don't know why I cared that my watch had a tachometer and time in seventeen countries. But I like yeah, it was sciency. It was a machine, <laughs> yeah. a tiny machine. And one time I bought one of these watches and the sweep second hand had fallen off. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone knows what a sweep second hand is anymore. Mm-hmm. It's the thing that turns once a minute, okay? <laughs> and counts seconds on an analog clock. Yeah. So it had popped off inside the dial. So I went to a, a, a nearby jeweler, and I'm, I'm 15 or something mm-hmm. at this time. And so I, I, can you put this back on? And by the way, I bought this watch at Macy's, right? Mm-hmm. And, a, and a mall at Macy's. And the, the, and the jeweler says, uh, this watch is stolen. We're not going to touch it. I said, stolen? What? And I wondered, was there, how would he know that? And right. was there a stolen shipment of watches that were taken to Macy's? Right, what, right. What, 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 and then I realized, oh, he doesn't, why would I own that watch? Yeah, yeah. Unless it was stolen in his right. mind. Right. It's some, some black kid with a fancy watch. Yeah. And so I didn't realize until later that that is how, what was going on in that conversation. Mm -hmm. But if, if I let any of that affect me, I'd be dead today. So Mm -hmm. I was in my own cosmic world, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thankfully. And the paths of the people that are coming behind you, whether scientific or not, I think can be informed by that, that singular kind of perspective, which is microaggressions are no, obstacles are no, positive or negative perceptions are no. They cannot and should not inform your And they will not. And they will not. Yes. That's correct. Yeah. And it takes, you know, you you need 
some level of thick skin, but for me, it wasn't thick skin. It's just that I didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> is there a word for that? I don't right, know. Right. What, what kind of skin is it where you, you just don't care? Not give a fuckness. Not give a fuckitude. We should we should trademark that. I'm going to lose you, so I want to ask oh, you one uh-huh. last question, sure. and then and then we'll do we, we do a little coda for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, it's a two-part question. We'll try to answer it quickly. But the first thing is, are you, are you, how do you feel about the state of science right now? Are you hopeful? Are you- I, I'm hopeful. Let me, th- let me answer a slightly different question. What do I think is the future of science mm-hmm. in America where fluency in science, literacy in science will make the difference between whether we are economically competitive or not mm-hmm. or whether we become good or bad shepherds of the earth that is sustaining us? Mm-hmm. So... By my read, it's a little bit anecdotal, but there's a, I think there's enough evidence there for me to say it with confidence, that the generation of people who are 30 and under, they grew up with the smartphone. Mm-hmm. They know that this, smart, this device in their hand is giving them information from around the world, beaming off of GPS satellites, giving them directions. They know firsthand what role science and technology, engineering and math, are playing in their lives. And their heroes are geeks, mm-hmm. not corporate magnets, not politicians, not, and our patron saint of geeks is Bill Gates, who's the richest man in the world. You put all this together and you realize that the future of the United States, I think has a very different future than the one that, is, that you see percolating among those in charge. Right. Because 30 and under, they're not yet old enough to run for the Senate or to become president or to be CEO or to be on, bo- on, on corporate boards that actually define the future of a nation. But give them a few years. These are the people who go to Comic-Con in the drove. Comic-Con used to have 10,000 people. Now there are hundreds of thousands of people in multiple Comic-Cons across the country. Right. And every one of them knows the difference between fantasy and fact. Right. Every right. last one of them. Mm-hmm. And, they'll, and, and there are no judgments. Yeah. Excuse me. There are judgments just whether your costume is accurate. <laughs> exactly. But if you're a little overweight, mm-hmm. you stutter, you're, you're, little, you're a little awkward conversationally, there are no judgments. Right. But it, it is literally, I mean, having been the kid who played alone for most of my childhood, uh-huh. what is so amazing about Comic-Con is that it's just a collection of all kids who played alone <laughs> yes. finally playing together. Because we found the internet enabled a community of people to rise up yeah. from from the from the turf yeah. who were otherwise alone and now they they can play together and like i said there's no judgments yeah. so not it's not how beautiful you are or how socialized you are how cool you or are how cool yeah. you are and so i think that is the future and if that's the future we will have a scientifically informed governance mm-hmm. of this country which mm-hmm. is what we desperately need mm-hmm. because that is the difference between surviving in the the 21st century and not. Yes, also, or maybe between surviving in the 21st century or drowning under the, the melted ice caps. Yes, Because yes, we're desi- exactly. denying, some, we have people in, in government who deny science. Right, on, and on that's, I think, uh, you know, I don't blame them explicitly. I think there are failures in our educational system mm-hmm. such that that would even be an accepted thing. Mm-hmm. That it would, even, it would even be okay. That even, they, even, yeah. they, they even get to that point. People, not enough people fully understand what science is mm-hmm. and how and why it works. Right. And I wrote a, I wrote a, a, a little bit on that. Mm-hmm. I just, just, just Google what science is and mm-hmm. Tyson. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Mike Tyson has written on that <laughs> subject. Rightly. So you should go to my, to my little <laughs> essay. <laughs> you should go to my version of that, yeah, even if yeah. Mike Tyson did come through. Um, but I think it's, it's, 
people should read that if you're otherwise wondering, or you say, oh, it's just a theory, or how, what does scientists know? Right. If, you, if you're thinking that way, I just invite you to, to, to explore this. And with regard to social media, uh, that's where I learned that people will absorb science if you fold it into the, so, to the pop culture that they're already fluent in. Mm -hmm. and, and Star Talk is, a, is, an, is an experiment in you coming to me with your pop culture scaffold mm -hmm. and I clad it with science right. and then you walk away with science enriched views mm -hmm. on what you thought might have had no correspondence to science at all. Right, right. And, it, and we, we started at, with a grant from the National Science Foundation mm -hmm. who believed in this experiment mm -hmm. and then it went to, uh, so it started on radio, then it went to satellite radio, then podcasts, and then it jumped species, went to television, yeah, National yeah. Geographic. I'm here in L.A. because of the Emmys. Mm -hmm. yeah. We didn't win, but we got nominated. You got nominated, got nominated. nominated before, right? Because well, I we like I see twice you. in a row. Yeah, that means last year. somebody's yeah. paying attention. Yeah. Because Star Talk is the first ever, first ever talk show on television based on science. science yeah. And the fact that it would get noticed in its first year, we didn't have to win. We got noticed with the nomination. It told me that somebody's paying attention yeah. and someone values this exercise. Science is important. And then it jumped species again and then we made a book. Yeah. Star Talk, the book. Yeah. And, and I was skeptical how we could bring it all together and have it still sing mm -hmm. with the, the pop culture science a recipe that worked um, uh, in, on radio and on television, but I think I think we succeeded. Yeah, and, when, and these things all continue to dovetail, support, and integrate. Right. And kind correct, of correct. This, and, you know. and every morning I wake up, I say, how many Twitter followers? Do, do they know that I'm an astrophysicist? They can still pull out. You yeah, still, exactly. You still unfollow? Anytime, if, anytime. Any, anytime, you can still unfollow. I was going to tell people they need to follow you because one of the most fun things, even if you're not a scientist but you love popular culture, is is to watch you, you know, savage uh, science in film and television. Well, no, but That's then always I got, enjoyable. okay, I think I misunderstood there. <laughs> I think people brand me as a buzzkill. No, and, and my I intent is to enhance your viewing-going pleasure, right. movie-going pleasure, and I... I think I've been mis misunderstood. So I, I don't, if I'm, because so many people get pissed off and, and it's not my intent. No, so, your intent is just to say, look, these things are grounded. I mean, look, predictive science or science fiction, are, the science is actually like the core, the, the, you know, the critical word in those it phrases. It should be, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the science fiction, predictive science is the fancy word for science fiction, but if you're watching something like The Martian or you're watching something like, uh, Don't you, know, you want to know that Sandra, is that real or not? That Sandra Bullock in the zero G scenes in of Gravity. the movie Gravity, that her bangs always pointed downward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't you want to know that that, that wouldn't that, happen? That wouldn't happen. Yeah. That her hair would like freely float in space. <laughs> uh, I thought maybe she had people... a lot of gel, a lot of gel in her hair, space gel. Uh, space gel, yeah, for zero G <laughs> gel. There you go. That's a new brand for you. No, but um, so, so I'm. Uh, so I think if you want to call it a recipe, I don't like thinking of it that way because it happened a little more organically than this. But retrospectively, the recipe is if I can find some way to attach science to the pop culture that you value, mm -hmm. what I have found is that you will absorb that science like that. Yeah. And you will want more of it because mm -hmm. it enhances your life mm -hmm. and the things you care about. And science is no longer this lesson. Okay, abandon everything you're doing, come into my class and I will lecture to you right. on science. That's not what it is. Science is everywhere. You don't have to dumb it down. It just is the science that matters. Right. And mm -hmm. I was impressed with the reaction 
retweeted this. I was watching a overtime, uh, 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 an overtime period in a football game in a mm-hmm. recent playoff season, and they went through the multiple chains of possessions, and then there was like sudden death field goal kick, and I'm watching it, and there it goes. By the way, I was only channel surfing and landed on this, yeah. right? And there it goes, and the football hits the left upright and continues in for the win. Mm-hmm. And so I said, wait a minute. Ooh, let me check. So I checked the orientation of the field and the latitude, and, and I did the calculation, and I concluded that that field goal was aided by a third of an inch deflection to the right given to that ball because of the rotation of the earth. Ooh. 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 So That's I tweeted cool. that. Yeah. I tweeted that. And, and people just ate it up. Yeah. And I was really just trying to enhance your football watching pleasure, but it ended up in the, you know, uh, the team that won said, oh, earth. The, the yes. headlines, the local t- papers had fun with it. Yeah. Earth helped the team yeah, win, you know. Yeah, exactly. the, the universe is on yes. our side kind yes. of thing. So I, 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 I love doing that when I can. And I'll continue to do it as long as people will embrace it. And the day that people stop embracing, I'll just, like I said, I'll just go back to the lab. That story you told me reminded me of the quote. I'm actually not quite sure who did it. Uh, Brad, Brad, it's not Bradbury, but I'm going to give it to him. The one uh, that um, science sufficiently advances. Oh, no, no. So that's Arthur C. Clarke. Okay. One yes. of his edicts. Indecipherable yeah. from magic. Yeah, yeah. Any, uh, any technology mm-hmm. that is sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so right. that was something that looked magical to everybody. Oh. <laughs> right? This <laughs> magical not... thing of the ball going in. Oh, oh. Well, you know, it's just it's a freak <laughs> accident. And you, you, know, you showed well, yeah, no, there's some science. forces that work there. Yeah, that yeah. matter to you yes, in ways exactly. you might not have thought. And in that way, people won't think of science as this class that they were never good at or need to step around, that they will see it as a fundamental element of what it is to be alive mm-hmm. and what it is to function in the 21st century. And in that way, I think that's a different country. That's a country where everyone knows and understands what science is. Yeah. Would you go to space if you could? Only if I checked the budget and there was money to bring me back. <laughs> a. B, if I'm actually going to a destination. Like mm-hmm. I said, lately, NASA, for the last 40 years, NASA has been boldly going where hundreds have gone before. To right. me, that's not space. Yeah. That's a couple hundred miles above the Earth. It's a, a, yeah, always, always. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you go to San Francisco from L.A., you are farther away from L.A. than the astronauts are from Earth's surface. Wow. So we've somehow all agreed to call that space, but to an astrophysicist, that is driving around the block. Going for the layup. Yeah, it's going, going for, for the, the easy layup. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Space, put a destination in there, yeah. and I'm all for it. Cool. Well, we, we're out of time, so um, I just want to well, make I was delighted you. to it, finally do your show. It was a You didn't call, you don't write. No, I know, oh, I know. I'm a terrible human being, but mm-hmm. but I, um, I'm, I remain a fan, and it was a thrill oh. to see you at the Emmys uh, last night, and I am confident I'm going to see and you And I announced an Emmy that you came up to get. Yeah, exactly. Yes, it was for the voice talent for... Oh, you did the anime. Shows, so the and animated we won show for f- best animated show. Yeah, for yeah. Um, Archer. Archer, yes, which was yes. a thrill. Congratulations we, on that, and uh, and w- did not expect to win at all. And um, and it was a delightful night, and it was great yeah. to see you up there and in your in your space vest, in your signature <laughs> space vest. <laughs> you gotta you gotta wear you wear what you love. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having joy. me. Thank you. Hey. Well, that was my cool conversation with Neil deGrasse Tyson, who I've been hoping to get on the show for a long time, and I finally did it. And, um, you know, I think he's doing some pretty cool work. I know I'm not the only person that thinks that, but, you know, I don't know. Science and STEM studies need to be cool. And they were cool when I was a kid, and they need to be made cool again. I think so much of what people are focused on now is uh, minutia 
meaningless crap, the internet, some stupid fucking video where your face looks like a bunny rabbit. We got to be making shit, man. We got to be doing shit. Science, in my opinion, and I know I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not a Luddite here. I do think that science on the whole, for the most part, with some, some big uh, gaps, some big, um, some big divots, has made our lives better in so many ways. And I know for me, because I get to make this show and I get to make movies and I get to make music videos and I get to create, science has directly impacted my ability to be a better uh, and more productive artist. So I love science. I believe in science. And, uh, and I hope you do, too. Because global warming is real, motherfucker. You better roll up your pants. This has been Girl and Guy. You guys are the greatest. You know what to do. Come say hi to me online. Come send me a question for the all-listener question show. That is coming, and it is coming soon. It is never too early, but it will soon be too late for you to ask me a question for the all-listener question show. Ask me a question about science. Ask me a question about science fiction. Ask me a question about Star Trek. I can answer them all. Maybe not right, maybe not properly, but with some Googling appropriately enough for you. Come say hi to me. Get your question on the show. There are only a few episodes left in this year, and now is the time for you to connect with the podcast that you love so much. Come subscribe. Get your get your app. Uh, as you know, the last free epi- 10 episodes of Girl and Guy will always be free, but if you want to have access to the previous catalog, you do need to get the app and you do need to subscribe. It's paltry pennies a month for access to almost 300 back episodes. So uh, if you are missing Girl and Guy or you... you, you are just starting now and you want to go back to the beginning, that's the way to do it. And um, as you know, I cover most of the nut for the show out of my pocket. So putting a little bit of it behind a subscription, pay subscription wall was a way to cover the nut of this show, cover all the costs it takes to keep it online, pay for servers, pay for syndication, all those things. Um, 79 cents a month gets you access to 300 back episodes of Girl and Guys. So I encourage you to uh, subscribe and uh, and rep the show in style. You guys are the greatest. You are my army. You are brilliant. You are scientific. You are incisive. You are thoughtful. And you are legion. And I will talk to you on the next one. Live long and prosper. Girl on Guy is a production of Hot Machine. Blowing shit up since 2009.